Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program and my guest today is Bernard Siegel and our topic is answering the call. It is Bernard and my great privilege to dedicate our program today to his late father, Norman Siegel, a much-loved husband, father and friend. Bernard, he would be so proud of the man that his son has become and the incredible work that you do. I have known Bernard since he was a baby. We met when we were living, we were all living in the same block of flats in Germiston. And Bernard and my son Norman are lifelong friends. Today, we're going to be talking about Bernard's role in at Hatsola. And he's going to tell us a bit about Hatsola, which he joined as a volunteer in 2005 and is now a Special Projects Manager, Infection Prevention and Control Manager. And Bernard, welcome. Thank you, Sue. Thanks very much for having me on your show. Pleasure. Uh, Bern, tell me why you actually decided to join Hatsola. So in 2005, Hatsola put out a advert that they were looking for responders. And I've always had a passion for the medical side of things, but uh, for whatever reason, call it my inability to, to sit and study when I was at school and whatever else life handed me through, through its various stages. Medical school wasn't really an option, so this, when this opportunity came about, there was a way to get into the medical field as well as a way to give back to the community. And um, I grabbed the opportunity and I've never looked back. Um, you mentioned You mentioned my yeah. late dad and um, as you both know, he was a man of few words, but of uh, lots of action. And he, he instilled in, in myself and my sister growing up that it's very important to do for others. It's not about standing up there and having your name in lights, rather be in the background and just do. And much to my mom's horror as a youngster, even before my bar mitzvah, growing up in Germiston being a small town, Sunday afternoons often meant that there was a funeral or an unveiling. I got schlepped along because he was part of the Chebe Kedusha. And I sat there writing receipts because my mother made him swear that she wouldn't let me do anything else. And so I suppose my work in giving to the community or in giving back started in those days. And once I got involved with Hatsola and became active within the organization in more than just the medical response, but more in the, the background, the back, the back side of it and the operations and logistics side, it just became a, a huge opportunity to, to give and to do and to enable. And um, it was 
was probably a dream come true. And since then, it's it's grown and grown. And so is the passion for all the, the various projects and, and other things that I've taken on. You know, Bernard, when I think about your dad, as you say, actually showing you in many ways the, the way, you know, to, to reach out to others. And um, I know that he and Leon, my husband, both worked for the Gev in Germiston. And I think you're quite right, you know, watching watching somebody older than you, an elder who you respect, doing something does ignite a spark in you. And you have always been a caring person, always. And um, you would have made a wonderful doctor, but already you actually are a res- first responder in 2007, you became operations director. Tell me about that. So the, the opportunity to come onto the board of Atsolo was, was presented. And um, we, the Hatsolo was doing, call it a reshuffle from within. Uh, our then CEO, Brian Jude, was looking to step back a bit and looking to bring fresh and young blood onto the board. To, to take over and, and uh, transform Hatsola and, and, and grow it into the future. And a group of us that had recently qualified two years before were given the opportunity. And um, we stepped up and guys with the various backgrounds were given positions that suited their, their backgrounds. I came from a computer and IT logistics and purchasing background. And the logistics was was a was a, a natural fit, and took over in that position. And we grew as a board. We grew the organisation from a small uh, first responder type organisation with a little ambulance fleet up to a service today, which is recognised both countrywide and worldwide for its achievements. We have um, six six ambulances, four response cars. Um, we have a, an active team both day and night over the weekends, 24-7, 365. Our equipment level is probably among the highest in the country, if not on the African continent. And our responders are recognized for their level of training and their competency. And it's, it's a pleasure. Um, Let's just talk a bit about Hatsolo. It is a non-profit um, uh, rescue operation organization, and um, it's it's it services air, different areas. So tell me a bit about Hatsolo. Okay, so Hatsolo was started in South Africa twenty years ago, registered as a non-profit organization, and in the Early days, we were just what they called the first responder service. We didn't have ambulances. So we would try and get a responder to scene as quickly as possible. What, in your own cars? In our own cars, in our own cars, with our own equipment, and basically cover the gap in time between when the emergency occurred and when either a state ambulance or a private ambulance service such as MEC 911 or EO24, until they arrived on scene to then take over the management and transportation of the patient. Mm. And as 
as the needs grew within the community and the changes within the country, the needs, the need and the recognition that we needed our own ambulances to, to cover that gap. And then also to, to fulfill, as we saw the, the slide or the increase in those time periods, the necessity to increase the level of training, the level of equipment, the life-saving ability was recognized and put in place. So in the old days, the guys ran around with a little bottle of a product called Emox. It was a plastic bottle with a powder that you added water, you shook it up, and it gave yeah. you three minutes of oxygen. Wow, is that so? <laughs> That's 20 years ago. We now have five state-of-the-art ambulances with um, we have response cars with ventilators and defibrillators and autopulses, and we have equipment that um, that most that almost none of the private ambulance services have, and maybe the odd academic hospital has one or two just for training. And those are our standard equipment on our vehicles. And would you say that Hatsola uh, works alongside other emergency? responders we definitely do it's taken time and most of the ambulance services within our areas of operation know us we we are there for our community and where we can for the greater community we do assist and often those when we arrive on scene and there are jewish patients and the other ambulance services have arrived first by law that patient is theirs um, a lot of other ambulance services, the guys have got um, targets they have to meet, numbers that they have to transport, whereas being a nonprofit that doesn't come into our focus, which changes things. And we often say to them, guys, they are our patients, they are our community, do you mind? And they're happy to go with that. Okay, we'll get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and I'm back with Bernard Siegel. And if you'd like to contact us, please do so on SMS 34519 or telegram us on 061 Bernard, we're back again together. I see that in 2017, you took off four months uh, to, to study full-time. Uh, what, were, what were you doing in that time? So um, I took a decision that uh, I, was, I was running my own business at the time and due to whatever changes that were happening in the industry, it was perhaps time to look at a new chapter in life and in discussions with my family, specifically my wife, an opportunity arose to study intermediate life support, which is the next level of training up. And the only way to do it is four months, at that stage was four months full-time study. And I grabbed the opportunity with the blessing of my family and Atsola, and um, I took, the, I took the, the step and stepped back into the classroom as the oldest person in the college, being older yeah. than my lecturers and even the admin staff. So it but was I'm rather sure interesting. But I'm sure you came with a lot of knowledge. That I did. 
I came yeah. with, uh, at that stage, almost 14 years of experience on the road. And it was great. It was a huge learning experience. It was a huge learning curve having to sit in lectures Monday to Friday from eight to five. Uh-huh. And then when we finished the, the first two months of lectures and midterm exams, we then went into two months of road practice, uh, Sunday to Friday, six to six. Wow. Um, road practice, hospital practice, and hospital shifts in the various departments gaining the necessary skills and experience before we're allowed to write our final exams and then qualify and work on the road at a higher level <clears throat> with greater protocols and more drugs, et cetera, within our scope. Wow. So the, you qualified then as an intermediate life support medic. So you were almost Correct. fulfilling in, in so many ways. It's funny how we often sort of think, well, if only I was a doctor. But in actual fact, this is your this is your calling. This is where you're is it, meant to be. You're not meant to be a GP and in an office. I think you get the stimulation by being able to jump in an ambulance and face an emergency. Do you? I believe so. The lights and sirens, um, in the early days, it is the adrenaline rush. I'm sure. Um, but um, with years of experience, it's actually it's actually your safety features getting to the emergency. And it's also time to process what's ahead. So when we get dispatched to an emergency, we are given an address. We are given a time. Basically, the time is now. We have, a, we have either a male or a female patient, an age if it's available. The nature of the emergency may be a small little history of what has happened and whether the patient is conscious and breathing. And that is all we know. Now, for and all the then, listeners who are just tuning in, Bernard is with Hatsola, the nonprofit organization, the emergency response medical uh, organization, and we are talking about his role there and how he actually feels being in that role. So is it fulfilling to be in, in at Hatsola and to be able to do what you do? Very much so. Um, I was, when I finished and qualified, back into negotiation with the family and then had the opportunity to take, to take up a full-time position at Hatsola. Hatsola um, is made up of both volunteers and full-time staff. Um, the full-time staff carry the, the day shift, to, to put it simply, basically the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mm. And then 6 p.m. until the next morning is carried by the volunteers and the weekends are carried by volunteers and the full-time team. We volunteer after hours as well. So I would pretty much say I'm living my dream. I'm living the life. I can uh, talk for myself when I say it's, it's pretty easy to get up in the morning and most mornings start at five or before five. Love coming to work, love what I do, which makes it very easy to, to do what I do. Um, it's not the prettiest job. We get to see some of the uglier and the sadder side of life but we also get to see the happy sides of life. We get to see the beautiful sides of things. Some people 
some, but it all depends on sometimes how your patients see things, how they, do they see life with, with a glass half full or half empty? It's taught me that being in this industry and working with Atsola, we're not in control. There's definitely a higher power. God runs this world. And if we are meant to succeed, we succeed. And when it's your time, it's your time, no matter what resources and what is available at that time, especially now in the time of Elul, we get to see um, the words of Unatana Tokef, who will live and who will die, and mm. who by water, who by fire, who by the sword. We get to see all those various things in this field that we carry out. And, and you know, Bernard, uh, just knowing from my own experience when I've had to phone Hatsola, there's a great sense of um, almost relief when Hatsola arrives. I remember having to phone in an emergency. And when Hatsola arrived, there was such a sense of, well, I'm being held in this situation. It was a situation I was called to. And uh, it was just so such a relief to hand over to more qualified people who could help. And what, what really uh, helped uh, at the time, because there was quite a bit of hysteria, was the fact that it was the talking. It was the people who responded, their calmness and their actual ability to connect in a calm way while doing what they had to do. And, you know, Leo Biscaglio says this, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. Very well. Isn't that true? Um, very true. Uh, a small smile, a calm voice. We see it every day, but for us, we're invited as an ambulance crew. We're invited into a family or individual's potential worst day of their lives. And we have a privilege and a responsibility on arriving to treat everyone with respect, to recognize the pain, whether it be physical pain or emotional pain, and assist with that. Assist in comforting the family, assist with comforting and calming the patient, and ensuring that the patient gets the best for what they require at that time. Often we'll argue with the family about a choice of hospitals because the family wants to go to the hospital around the corner because that's convenient for them. <laughs> but it is, it is convenient for visiting rights, but sometimes the patient needs a specific speciality, which is better at a further hospital. Uh, so the correct treatment for the correct patient at the correct time is always essential. Absolutely. And I think that there's also a sense of security in that, knowing that you know the different places to go to. But I also wanted to um, talk about 2019. Because it was almost as though you had an intuitive knowledge that something was about to happen. Tell me what happened in 2019 and what you did. So, you began to study again. <laughs> yeah. So 
working in the EMS, you, you find things that start to scratch and itch, and then you start to look a bit deeper. And I worked out, needed to learn some more about infection control and what was going on, and didn't realize the depth of the field. So did a bit of research and um, an opportunity arose to, to do a postgrad uh, certificate in infection control. And I, I jumped at that. And as you say, uh, Hashem probably had his hand in there somewhere, but uh, graduated at the end of 2019 with a huge source of knowledge, having been trained by the likes of Prof. Duzay from Witz Medical School, who's a professor of microbiology in, who has a soft spot for the nurses. In, in, the, in, 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 the, in the nursing world because he believes that infection control starts right at the, the lowest level in the medical chain. And so I, I joined this class of 30-odd students, um, myself as the only paramedic, um, and 32 nurses with several years' experience, in the dozens of years' experience. And not having much background it was a huge learning curve but an awesome eye opener wrote exams in the december of 2019 and uh december 2019 december 2019 COVID was thrust on us and mm. um being hatsola being proactive we started to look and learn and see what was going on in the world and we watched the spread as it came throughout the world and we started to plan and together with the world not really knowing what COVID was how it was spread how it works we decided we need to draw up a protocol that's going to protect everybody so being a mix of team, being full-time full medics that work at it all day and volunteers that are doctors, professionals, lawyers, accountants, etc., and businessmen that, that pick up an ambulance at six in the evening, drop it back at six the next morning, who may or may not have calls in that period. They may do five or six calls over a month period. Needed to protect them to the same level as the guys that are doing it all day, every day, and are competent at it. So the challenge came in, how do we protect everybody? So thankfully, Hatsola gave us the backing, both um, emotional as well as uh, material, to, to put in place PPE, uh, which, is, which at that stage became a very, very scarce and, exp and expensive commodity. But we protected our guys as if they were treating Ebola to start because we actually yeah. didn't know what we were dealing with. So we treated for a VHF, a, a viral hemorrhagic fever. And it was almost like then, entering, entering the, the forest and not being able to see where the forest came to an end. For mm. sure. After speaking to certain people in the, in, in the EMS, we were told, no, leave it to government or leave it to NetCare 911. And when we contacted NetCare 911 and said, we've been told to leave it to you, they told us, don't you ever do that. We're, we're in the same boat you are. You're going to treat the same patients that we are. And wow. we said, okay, now that we've clarified that, this is how we're going to do it. Oh. And on the 20th, 20th of March, which was a, a week before South Africa 
decided it's time to lock down to level five. That's 2020. Uh, 2020, on the 20th of March, um, Hatsola received its, its first call to transport a COVID-positive patient. Hmm. This was a French citizen who'd come into the country, uh, working on contract for the car train, and was staying in this hotel in Santon, had tested positive, and had now deteriorated and needed to be transported to hospital. Was and he a Jewish French? Was he a Jewish man? Still to be determined. Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering um, how why you were called in. <laughs> um, I think he had friends who knew friends, but at the okay. end of the day, it was a life that needed uh, rescuing. So we stepped up. And when does it happen as normal? Four o'clock on a Friday afternoon. When everyone's are you all, gone home. Are you, all, are you religious Jews in this mostly religious volunteers and full-time workers in this organization? So to qualify to, to work as a, as a volunteer for Hatsola Medical Rescue, you need to be Shomer Shabbos, you need to keep kosher and Shomer Mitzvahs. Um, that's Shomer the Shabbos for our, for our um, listeners who are not Jewish means to keep the Sabbath. Yeah. So that's so, part of the criteria for joining. That's correct. And one of the main reasons for that is you have to, you have to know the rules before you can break them. Uh, you have to know what you can and can't break and how you can minimize the desecration of, of the Sabbath so that life is saved, but the Sabbath is still protected and the balance between that. That being said, when a life requires, when, when someone's life is in danger, the Sabbath is canceled. That's amazing. And Bernard, tell me about support system. Where, uh, do you have a support system that actually debriefs you? Where so, do you need debriefing? So we have quite a, a hands-on management team. And if there is a call that, that, that has affected the guys and everybody is affected differently by different calls. Um, so if we do have a very serious call, there is a, normally we're all sent on a compulsory debrief to a professional, um, to a professional trauma debrief of our choice, okay. either within the organization or out um, as we choose. And then we debrief among ourselves all the time. Oh, we talk through our calls, we, we work it out as a team, Sometimes very difficult to, to, to debrief a call when people don't understand the intricacies of the EMS. Mm. It's, it has its nuances, frustrations that other people would feel sometimes for us or not, don't even come into consideration. And things that for us are, 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 are game, can, can, can make or break things. Some others, and a what a, a trauma counselor in a normal in their normal day would would never come across. So sometimes very difficult to to work it in that environment. So we do it ourselves. We'll get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on one hundred one point nine High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Bernard Siegel. 
Are we talking about Hatsola, the uh, non-profit organization, medical emergency operation? And right now you're going to be listening to a short YouTube by Brené Brown on empathy. Thank you, Craig. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Bernard Siegel. And uh, you can contact us on SMS 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. Uh, we are talking about Bernard's role at Hatsola and what Hatsola actually do. And I see a message has come through actually on my phone that asks if we can discuss the other, what Hatsola, all the other roles that Hatsola does. Uh, Hatsola Connect, Hatsola Emotional Support Line. Can you go through some of those, please? Sure, with pleasure. So as we dealt with patients over the years, the need to expand the services group. So some of those that are, um, mentioned there is Hatsola Connect, which is a, a telegram-based suicide prevention line mm -hmm. and aimed mainly towards the youth. 
It's a anonymous line where we have a team of team that that man that line twenty four seven, and um, they start to initiate once contact is made, and then hand over to professional professional help. You've just frozen for a moment. Hello. I mentioned earlier. Are you back again? You froze for a moment, Bern. Terribly sorry. Uh, where did I lose you? So, so you we have the a, emotional support and suicide prevention. So we have a teen suicide prevention line. We also have our CRU or crisis response unit, which is a, a unit that was set up after looking at uh, United Atsola in Israel, who created a unit that responded to emergencies to look after the emotional support and well-being of both the families in crisis during the emergency, as well as the mental health and ensure the safe, the mental stability of the responders. So ha having a, a support of an active board, they, they recognized this and brought the guys out from overseas to set up and train a team here within South Africa. And they trained the guys in breaking bad news to families. As I mentioned earlier, we step into the worst day of a patient or a family's lives. And sometimes we do have to break the bad news to them and tell them that a loved one has passed on. It's how you do it. It's being there to start, I wouldn't say start the trauma debrief, but just to ground the people and bring in professionals that can then take over to allow the family to begin the process of coming to terms with whatever has happened. Um, and those teams are on standby 24 hours a day. They come out to deal with families and also allow the volunteers then to step back and put a boundary between the, the medical side and the emotional side, which is very, very important for the longevity of, very, very of, of respondents. Um, we're also humans. Um, people see us as angels at times, but uh, calls have an impact. And sometimes being able to step back and allow mental professionals to, to do what they do best um, really, really helps. So we have our crisis response unit that deals with the traumatic side and they help with the, the family and they help to explain the processes and start the connection, uh, whether it's with the Chev or whether it's with the rabbis, whether it's with the trauma departments at the hospitals, to how to bring the children home from school and break the news of what has happened mm -hmm. and what has transpired and wow. begin those processes. Um, that is all done um, by professionals who are on standby to assist us 24-7. Um, we have we have we have a postnatal depression program that's headed up and run by Sherry Hansen, and I'll be overstepping because that's really not something that I know much <laughs> about. But uh, I'll give you Sherry's number, and I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you about it. Um, but the Bernard, truth is, media, sorry, the truth is what uh, in that little clip you paid. Empathy is feeling with people. And that is, that's who we are. When we're called out, we're treating agonists. 
for those who don't speak Yiddish, we're treating our own. The grannies that we pick up off the floor are like our own grannies. And it makes that connection that much easier, but it also makes it that much closer. Absolutely. And, you know, on that note, I see a message has just come through from my daughter, you know, Shira, in Israel. And she said, I would like to thank Hatsola for helping me through having COVID while I was eight months pregnant. They kept me and all my family calm. And that's very, that's, um, it's so true, that calmness, that caring. Somebody came twice a day to come and check on her. And then the other thing was that Rabbi Rabbi Ash was in charge of all of us because we all had uh, COVID, Leon, myself, and Shira. And um, the one day my husband, Leon, was dancing with my little grandchild. And uh, I took a video and sent it into Hatsola. And Bernard, you recognized the garden. <laughs> <I did>. <laughs> you know, uh, Craig is already saying we're going to have to wrap up. And we haven't even begun to talk about the wellness program. How can people so, get hold of you? They would like to hear a bit more. To get hold of me personally, either directly through Hatsola, through the office. Otherwise, maybe we could make a time to, to discuss wellness because wellness, the wellness program is the brainchild of a number of people. I can't take any credit for that, just worked on it. And in and of itself could probably take up an entire program, but okay. it looked so after more than 12,000 people during wow. COVID. Oh. So Gee, um, that's amazing. It deserves its own time. Yes, we'll give it a we'll give it a full time as well. And I also wanted to discuss um, Hatsola that the fact that it's around the world, and also that in two thousand and nineteen, Hatsola South Africa joined a, a relief uh, mission to Bara and Mozambique, and uh, when there was that cyclone on. But I'm being told yes. to go to advert. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Bernard Siegel. And we're being told to wrap up, so I want to just give Hatsola's emergency number. It's 083-222-1818. Bern, you're going to have to just say a couple of words as we end. What would you like to say? Um... Sure. Just thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you to the community that supports us. At the end of the day, Hatsol is a non-profit organization. We've never charged a single individual since we started uh, treating patients more than 20 years ago. And to enable us to continue doing that, we rely on the, on the good graces of the community to, to do that. Um, it's, it's our privilege to be there for the, the community when they need us and just to thank the community for, for their support and their encouragement. Uh, during COVID, they really looked after us. We would arrive at work and find muffins dropped off or coffees dropped off or sandwiches for lunch because at times there were days we started at six in the morning and never saw the base until five in the evening except when we were cleaning and scrubbing ambulances in between and then straight to the next court. So, 
just behind the scenes, there's a lot that goes on and a huge thank you to the, the community out there that, that enable us to do what we do. Wonderful. And I would actually like to wish everyone a, a new year of blessings. And for those of you who will have an empty seat at your, at your table over this festival, my thoughts, and I'm sure Bernard's thoughts, are with you all. All special occasions, loss is more acutely felt during special occasions. And it's, it's very difficult to actually cope with it. So our thoughts are with you. And for everybody, we wish you a new year of many, many blessings and health. And thank you so much, Bernard, for all you do for Hatsola. We will definitely get back to talk about the wellness program because uh, I know I was treated there as well in it. So I have my own part to share and I'm sure many other people will as well. Another message has just come through and on my phone and it just says, thank you so much, Hatsola, for all you do. So thank you, Bernard. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Craig. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Craig. Thank you for listening, everybody.